Welcome, everybody, to the No Huddle Show, episode number 42. I'm Mark Echo. I'm joined by Elliot Shore Parks. We cover the Eagles for NJ.com. Joe Giglio, who's usually with us, is on vacation this week. So it's just you and I, Elliot. What's crazy is I was I was writing an article last night, and they've already had like 13 or something practices. I feel like camp is, is flying by. Like last, Do we do a podcast since training camp started before? So this is the first one. So there's definitely a ton to talk about. But we are being joined today by a very special guest, the voice of the Eagles. He's been doing this for 40 years. 40 years, Elliot. Yeah, I mean, that's like you know, 12 years longer than I, than I, I was, was born. Say, I don't even want to know where you were. <laughs> because you weren't anywhere. And that's, of course, Merrill Reese, the Eagles play-by-play guy. He's a um, fascinating guy. He's been, like I said, been, he, I think, I, without a doubt, he's the longest tenured radio broadcaster in the NFL. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking, other than Vin Scully, he, he might be the second longest in any sport, um, he, um, he, we'll have to ask him that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he would be aware of that. But let me ask you first, Ellie, b- before we, we bring Merle on. Camp's been going on, like you said, now for 13 days. What's been your biggest takeaway from, from what we've, we, we've seen so far? So one of my takeaways, we would, if we were to record this a few days earlier, one of my takeaways would have been how physical this team is. And in some ways, I still think that's the case. I've noticed that the, the practices, um, and we've commented on, on this, the, the practices are far more uh, competitive and intense than they were under Chip. Now, I don't know if they're learning as much. I don't know what the results will be. But just in terms of intensity and being physical, I think this team has been – in training camp, they've shown more of that than they did last year under Chip. Um, but now they're not hitting anymore. So I don't know how, that, <laughs> I don't know how that's going to impact it. Um, Peterson spoke on Tuesday and said that the, you know, he wasn't cutting the hitting out because of – Jordan Matthews and Zach Ertz injury, but he also said on Monday that one of the reasons he's doing it is because he's got to protect the guys on the field. So, you know, just kind of another example of Peterson saying one thing and doing another and explaining it a different way and, you know, all that. Um, my other takeaway before, before you get to yours would just be I was more optimistic about the playmakers on this offense than you were. Um, I think we both agree that there's, you know, some playmakers on defense. Oh, actually, I don't know if you think that, but I think there's more <laughs> I think there's more playmakers on defense than there was on offense. Um, Agree with that. Yeah, but I just think on offense, I mean, Jordan Matthews is now hurt. That's We'll see, you know. I, I don't think he'll play this preseason. And then you're talking about him coming back week one, how he's going to be. Outside Jordan Matthews, I guess you have Zach Ertz. You don't really have any playmakers at running back. Um, Darren Sproles is probably the closest thing they have, but he's not a every-down type of back. Um, the receivers have been not terrible, but – they haven't really shown anything to make me think that they're going to be better than they were last year. And then, you know, we all know Sam Bradford, outside of being the best quarterback ever, probably isn't a guy that's going to be able to make the people around him better. So the offense, my, my biggest takeaway, I guess, would be from the first week and a half, two weeks of camp, is this offense is going to be really bad. I, you know, I, uh, I, I kind of agree. Um, I'll, I'll touch on that. You, you brought up the, you know, the, the differences in practice between the, the three years we had uh, Chip Kelly here and now the first year of Doug Peterson, which is kind of an extension of the Andy Reid era in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, there, it is more physical, without a doubt. Without, I mean, it couldn't be any less physical. Chips wasn't physical at all. So right. um, anybody would have been more physical. But it's also, it, do you find it more like boring? Like Chips, the, the um, te- say what you want about up tempo. It kept us. I mean, I was intrigued, and it, it, things never stopped. So, a lot of stopping and standing around, and nothing. Right. Like, right. I mean, am I wrong there? I will say that definitely. There's larger portions of the practice where, if you're, if you like, you know, are taking notes or you know, arguing about stuff with Merrill Reese, which you know we'll do in a little bit and do on the sideline almost every day. 
but you're not really missing much. But I do think the team sessions where they're doing, you know, live hitting and they're, you know, doing yeah. full 11 on 11, I think those are more interesting than they were under Jeff. Okay, I'll give you that. But I'm saying that just the, the whole, the three yeah, hours are out there overall, sometimes. I agree overall. It's way slower. Way slower. Yes. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just pointing it out. I mean, yeah, we'll see. I mean, that's the thing. Like, as Peterson has said, the way he's doing it is how Andy Reid did it. So, you know, if. Unless Jim Johnson's coming to coach a defense, I don't know if he'll get the same results, but he believes that this is a way to build a winner. And, and, that, right. and, that's not, and it's, not like, it's not like Andy Reid's only the coach. I mean, this is – I've only ever covered the Eagles, um, as of you, actually. But, I mean, you've probably been to other training camp practices where I, I have not. I would imagine the majority of football, coach, uh, football practices are like this. I mean, I'm just jaded because when I came in, really, you know, I saw a little bit of Andy Reid, but I was mostly chipped. So I only really knew it one way. So for me, it really seems slow because um, I've, never, I've never seen so much, you know. I don't want to say time wasted, but we're talking three or four minutes in between the first-team offense and the second-team offense coming in. Like with Chip, it was, you know, two fields, you know, one work from the other. Like it was no, no time wasted. Just Chip used to say, you know, he believes in efficiency. Um, so Peterson, I'm not saying he doesn't believe in efficiency, but I think he believes in definitely – Taking a little slower and making sure things get corrected on the field as opposed to in the uh, the um, meeting rooms. And Andy was like that too. And and if you remember, when Andy got here, he was no one knew anything about Andy Reid. He was a quarterback coach in Green Bay. I mean, so yeah. he he never ran a team before either. And if I, I'm trying to think back, if I remember, we thought uh, his practices were a little slower slower than Ray Rhodes's. Ray was Ray wasn't Chip Kelly. It wasn't up. It wasn't quite that up tempo. Nothing's like that tempo. But Ray's there, there wasn't as much standing around. Um, Co-tight before Ray was a lot of stand, was more was slow. Uh, Ray picked it up a bit. There wasn't. There was always guys doing something. It seemed. I thought Ray Rhodes ran a very good training camp. Say what you want about Ray Rhodes, it's good and bad head coach. But I thought his training camps were very well organized and very well run and if you talk to the players that played for Ray I think I think they they would agree um and Andy like I said and again every coach has their own style and there's no right or wrong and the right or wrong comes out with how does how, how the team does uh, let me ask you this give me a give me a player that you've been pleasantly surprised with and a player that you've been a little disappointed in and again just from watching practice right practice, so, I mean, I put a lot of stock in it but just from what we, we, we've seen in two weeks right I mean I think the pretty clear one for me that I've been impressed with is Jalen Mills. I think you can make the argument he's been the best quarterback in camp, even among the starters. Uh, he's got two interceptions in team settings, which I'm pretty sure leads the uh, is the most among the defensive backs. McLeod might be up there, but I mean Mills is definitely you know he's always around the ball. Um, there's very few times you see him get beat. I think it was either Saturday or Sunday of this past weekend. He had a rough day against Reuben Randall, but I mean I just think he's been everything the team could really ask him. So. That, that's been one player that has uh, impressed me. And I would say the player that hasn't disappointed me but just hasn't been kind of what I expect and what fans expect is probably Michael Kendricks. You know, I think everyone knew he struggled in coverage, but that the, the, you know, the quotes from Billy Davis in the, uh, in the Paul Domowicz article, kind of I think he kind of brought it to the forefront. And ever since then, it's re- I've really noticed much more in practice how often he's getting beat. I don't know if it's because he – I mean, I know he's always struggled in it, but now he's a little heavier than he used to be, and it's muscle. I mean, you know, he put on weight on purpose, not like he came in out of shape. But, you know, that's probably not going to help him in coverage. So I think He looks like probably, Brandon Graham. Yeah, he looks like Brandon Graham, exactly. I mean, he literally, yeah. Not I thought, that's a bad way Brandon Graham, but Brandon Graham's a defensive end. Yeah, Brandon Graham is also – and also he's like 
Brandon Graham's a short, stout defensive end. Right. He's not. It's not like he's like a you know Jason Pierre-Paul type of, of body. So, yeah, I mean, I would say Kendricks is probably the guy that at the beginning of training camp, I, or you know what? And then I know we got to get to Merrill, so I want to you know. But I would say Jason Peters too, because I was more optimistic about him than you were, and he's been a complete disappointment. He's not practicing. You know, he just doesn't look. I just I would say yeah, he Looks he's probably been years old, man. Kendricks. Yeah, my, my, my surprise is going to be the guy, the guy you mentioned who, who beat the guy that you mentioned, and yeah. that's Randall. I, I mean, maybe because I, I, I follow the Giants somewhat close as well, and you know we, I love our, our coverage of the Giants with, with uh, James and now Dan. And Giant fans in particular, and even the guys that cover the Giants and Giants, I didn't, I didn't hear much good about Ruben Randall when the, when the Eagles signed him. It was like, oh, yeah, big deal, you got Ruben Randall. And, and his and his contract said the same thing. He signed a one year deal for a little like a million dollars. I mean, so I was in this, I was not expecting a whole lot from him. I, I get I think he's been their best wide receiver day in and day out, especially now with with Matthews hurt. I mean, he catches almost everything his way. He's made some really yeah. tough catches. Uh, he's not afraid to go over the middle and make and make a catch in traffic. All the things, all the bad things I've heard about him, I haven't seen. I've only seen good. Now again, it's practice. So when the games start and you're playing, it could be different. But I'm going to say he's my biggest surprise in, in, a, in a good way. Disappointment, I got to put it on, on the rookie, Isaac Sumalo, who you're a third-round pick at, at guard. You should be in the conversation for a starting job. You should be – I mean, it's not like, the, you know, Alan Barber is a, is a Pro Bowl player by any means. Um, or even, you know, Brandon Brooks gets hurt and they put Wis, Wisniewski out there. I mean – yeah. I don't think this kid's going to do a damn thing all, all year. I think, I think it's, he's just going to be a – it's a redshirt year for him, and I don't think the Eagles could have afforded to, to waste a third-round pick on a, on, a, on a guy that's not going to – especially when your first-round pick's not going to play either. Yeah, and you're probably so, – you know, neither of you – I mean, Wendell Smallwood maybe, although he's been hurt. He's been um, hurt. I mean, really, Jalen Mills could end up this year at least being the saving grace of this draft class because they might not get anything from, like you said, Smallwood probably not um, – Vitae, the offensive lineman, probably won't play. Smallwood, I'm starting to think, might be a non-factor. McAllister might not make the team. Joe Walker is going to be a backup linebacker. So, I mean, yeah, they're not going to get a ton from their rookie class this year. So Mills, yeah, Mills. Oh, you're right. Mills is definitely the, the rookie showing the most immediate impact. But yeah. um, let's. Why don't we go to Merle? All right, joining us now is a man that I've had the pleasure of knowing for over 30 years now, and was flattered that he asked me to write his autobiography. It's good, and Merle, I think it's, it's it's almost time to bring out a sequel. I think, <laughs> I think we could call it "It's Still Good," or maybe it's it's even better. But Merle Reese, Eagles, thanks for joining us, Merle. I I think we have some chapters to go over, like uh, you know that revised copy that that Bobby <laughs> Hoying really wasn't that good. <laughs> yeah, maybe we could change some of those things around a little bit. So Merle, this uh, is fortieth year. Yeah. Wow. Doesn't seem it, but it, but it is actually it is. Did you ever? I mean, and I know you love what you do more than most anyone I I know. But can you believe that that, that you've been doing this for forty years? I can't. I, I really, really can't. Uh, if you asked me at the very beginning, would I like to still be doing it forty years later? I would have said yes, because there's nothing I would rather do. And I've had the opportunity over the years to to go to some of the television networks. Uh, but uh, I, this is, to me, this is the ultimate job. This is the thing that is the most fun for me. And uh, I, I have no intention of giving it up anytime soon, God willing. Well, I know we, we end um, 
the book with you saying if if you ever read that Merle Reese retired, it's a lie. <laughs> Because you're not right. It, it would be a lie. <laughs> they would have to take you uh, kicking and screaming out of the booth. <laughs> Absolutely. Merrill, Merrill, is there one game? I mean, over the 40 years, obviously, there's been a ton. I mean, I think of like Miracle at the Medical Medical Lands number two and stuff. But is there one game that really sticks out to you? There, there are several, Elliot. But the one that that sticks out the most. And a lot of people think I go back to the miracle of the Meadowlands or the game of the Dallas Cowboys in 1981 that put them in the Super Bowl. To me, uh, the game that still is my favorite after all these years was December 19, 2010, when they trailed the Giants 31-10. to And I still think that that was the best quarterback performance I ever saw when Michael Vick led them back, and of course the the walk off punt return by Deshaun Jackson, but that is my favorite game. Really, Merle? How about that? Honest, it yeah. is. It really is. See, then we have to revise the book. That's another reason to do the book again because that, that came out after the book. That happened after. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. <laughs> okay. But that, that, that game had more drama to it than any game I've ever done, and just just the way it ended, it was amazing. And and Vic just took he just totally took that game in his own hands, whether it was passing or running or just finding a way to win. And then of course Deshaun uh put the capper on it. So Mar, let's let's talk let's bring it now to, to this year. New new head coach with, with Doug Peterson in charge, a a different look roster. Are you excited about this team? Because it, it seems like the level of excitement from fans is a little bit lukewarm right now. I don't know if they're just hesitant over the changes. What's your feelings going into the 2016 season? I am very excited. I am very excited. I know the team has its limitations. I know it has its weak areas. But I just think that the NFC East is that way throughout. I I think the Giants, the Redskins, the Cowboys all have major question marks. And so does this team. So I believe that the thing, if they stay relatively healthy, I think this team can be competitive in terms of the division, and that's all you could hope for this year. I I think that Sam Bradford right now is playing very, very well. I think he looks sharp. He's coming off of an off season where he didn't have to rehab for a change. He just conditioned himself, and I think that this offense will be better suited for his skill set. So, Meryl, I remember me, you, and Mark standing on the uh, sideline back in OTAs kind of debating about this team, and I know since training camp started, for me at least, my expectations have gone down. I think the offense, I mean, I know you said Sam Bradford looks sharp, and he's probably been the best quarterback, but I just don't see a lot of playmakers on offense. So I was just curious, uh, and me and Mark were talking about this a little earlier on the podcast, since training camp started, has your expectations gone up or down, and what's kind of stood out to you to maybe make you think they will be competitive? Well, my, my expectations have actually gone up. I mean, I, I entered the season uh, going into training camp with uh, – being optimistic because I think that's my nature, but uh, I, I, I wasn't predicting titles. I wasn't predicting 13 wins or anything like that, but I just thought that this could be a pretty decent team, and I think the offensive line will be better than the offensive line a year ago, which was awful. Uh, now, we don't know. Here, here's Jason Peters, who's been nicked already, but again, I think Jason Peters is going to benefit from an offense where he doesn't have to hustle back to the line of scrimmage and go at that kind of a speed. Uh, he's a key. I think they've bolstered themselves. I think Brandon Brooks is a very good addition. I think Stefan Wisniewski 
is going to help them if, if in no other way in the depth department. So I think the offensive line will be better, and that's a big thing. I think the defense is going to be better. However, it's, it's a thin linebacking core, and it's a linebacking core and maybe an entire defense that is going to depend on one man to stay healthy, and that's Jordan Hicks, because if they lose Jordan Hicks, that will have a, a snowballing effect. Uh, some pins will fall over, and it will have a chain reaction. But uh, he's the key. And I know when I talk about the optimism, I know it is a an optimism based on good health in key areas. But I think you can make that same case in Dallas, where without uh, you know, without Tony Romo, they're in deep trouble. And uh, you know, without without the Eli Manning, but of course Eli Manning never seems to get hurt. But every every team has its areas that uh, that they they've got to be concerned with. Well, you bring up Sam Bradford, and I know you you like Bradford. You're you're you mm-hmm. think Sam Bradford's you're, and I don't I don't hate him. But let me ask you, what did you think of them bringing him back and the way and then drafting Wentz? Are you, were you okay with the way that all kind of with, with the way this things all played out? And and also had yes, to the mix as well. Yeah, I. I, I'm fine with it. Uh, I don't think they realistically, I don't see how they could have realistically envisioned themselves getting up to the number two spot in the draft. Uh, I, I thought that the, the the perfect storm had to happen. I mean, how they got the Dolphins to give up the seventh pick in the draft in exchange for their 13th for Kiko Alonso and Byron Maxwell was a miracle. And, and then, of course, suddenly... Cleveland and Hugh Jackson decided that RG3 was their answer, and then you could trade up to that second spot. But all of those things occurred before they re-signed Sam and brought in Chase Daniel. So I, I think once you were in, that you, you, you still you could move to that second spot. See, I, I, I like uh, uh, Carson Wentz a lot. I think he's, he's the total package. He, you know, we'll find out beginning Thursday night just how far he is from actually being ready to be a starter in the NFL. But he's got the prototypical size that you look for. He's got the strength. He's got the big arm. He seems to have leadership ability. The guys like him. He's intelligent. I think there are so many pluses there. So long range, I think they made the move. If you can get somebody who can be a franchise quarterback, you get them. And they had the opportunity to do that. And I think they were I think they were right in doing it because uh, as much as I respect Sam Bradford and as I, as much as I would like to see Sam Bradford have his season of seasons, the MO on Sam Bradford so far in his career is that he isn't durable. See, here is my here's my only problem. And I agree with everything that you just said, especially about Carson Wentz. My only thing was, I thought the Eagles had to make a decision in their mind, even before they moved up, whatever. They had to ask themselves, is Sam Bradford the guy? Can Sam Bradford take us to a Super Bowl? If the answer was yes, then by all means, keep him and build around him. Give him the weapons that he needs. Get him, give him a better offensive line. Help his defense. Do whatever you can. If, if you believe Bradford's the guy, then keep him and give him, give him, give him help. If, if the answer to that question is no, no, Bradford's not the guy. He's just a guy. Then move on from him, and don't spend, don't waste thirty. Well, how, how much money they're paying him for two years? Thirty was it thirty six million? Um, and use that money to get other better players. I, I just think they they spent a lot of money on Bradford, and they spent a lot of resources on Wentz, 
and that's why they don't have depth, and that's why they have questions in a lot of, a lot of other, other areas. That's just my take. I wouldn't have done both. And, and I understand what you're saying, but I think they also believe that they can be competitive while they're doing this thing, that they don't have to break it down and throw a rookie quarterback out there and go 2-14. Oh, no, and, and, and I think that, and I, that's why, they, to me, they said that when they re-signed the Brent Selleck. If, if you're going to do uh, – if it's all going to be the future – and we're going to wait for Wentz, why re-sign the older players on this team? But yes, I think they look at the division and think they can, they can win the division this year. Yeah, I don't know if that's realistic, though, Merrill. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you. I know what you're saying, that I think that, you know, if Tony Romo goes down, then yes, I, the Eagles have a chance. I think the Giants are going to be better. Um, we'll see. But I don't know. Just looking at this team, I just think it, I look at it this way. You're not going to make the playoffs with Sam Bradford. So what's the benefit? What's the difference between winning, you know, six games and eight games? I just think, you know, maybe you put oh, I, I, or, or, you know, you give Carson Wentz more of a chance earlier on in the season. I just think the Bradford thing complicates Wentz's path to the starting job a little bit more. And like, like you said, I think Carson Wentz is the total package. And, you know, I think I, I honestly believe that by getting Carson Wentz, that this franchise really changed their, their outlook for the next, you know, whatever many years. But I don't know. I just think I just think having Bradford here kind of complicates things, and why take that risk with with Wentz? I, I don't think it's complicated things in the locker room because I think Sam Bradford is a professional, and I think he conducts himself well, and he's liked by his teammates, so yeah. he's not causing any problems. And I agree with you. Uh, I don't think there's a difference between winning six games and winning eight games, except you get a a worse draft pick. But I I think this team can win the division. And it's it's not just Tony Romo. Every team has their question marks. Yeah, are the Giants going to be better? Maybe. I don't know. The Eagles beat them twice last year. So I don't know how much better the Giants are going to be. I think the Eagles are going to be better. I mean, keep in mind, the Eagles went into their 15th game last year against the Washington Redskins with a chance to go to the playoffs. I mean, all they had to do was basically beat the Redskins in that game and and they're practically in, and of course they beat the Giants the last week, and they didn't. They they looked as poorly prepared for Week 15 as they did for the first week in Atlanta. That offensive line in in the 15th week was jumping off sides, illegal formations. They were still a mess. So I I just think this team can be better than that team, and if that's the case, they're going to be in the race. Uh, until very late. And I agree with you. If they are mathematically out or realistically out, then it's Carson Wentz time. See, and I think the one area I think the one area I might disagree with you on is so I agree the the roster does have more talent, I think, than my record. I think they're gonna win you know five or six games, but I think that the roster is more talented than that. But I just have my question marks about Doug Peterson. So I'm just interested in what you thought of Peterson so far. Uh, mostly in training camp, but I guess overall since he's been hired. Well, I, I'm prejudiced to begin with. I, I want to put that out there because I like Doug. I've known Doug for 16 years, and, and I get along with him extremely well, and he communicates with me, and I, he, he, I, just, I just like him a lot as an individual. And I don't think whether it's Doug Peterson or the, the, the Giants' new genius or any coach coming in, that you can, you know, the, the gaze in Miami. I don't think there's any way to judge a coach until you see him under game conditions. 
uh, and I don't mean a preseason game. I mean, you have to watch a coach, and, and certainly they're going to make mistakes, especially early in their head coaching career. But uh, I, I remain with an open mind. I think that Doug is authoritative. I think that Doug communicates well with his players. I think that Doug communicates well with his coaches, and uh, I'm willing to wait and see. But I, I can't predict at this point. I, I wouldn't say any coach coming in is going to be a great head coach. I thought uh, initially, I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you, when they first hired Chip Kelly, uh, for the, that first year I was enthralled. I thought, oh, my gosh, they, they've got the coach that will one day take this team to a Super Bowl. Yeah. And I was way off. I was less convinced. Many, what? I'm not sure you were. I think it's given the right – I think if circumstances were different, this whole thing could have worked out well with Chip Kelly as head coach. He didn't want it. He didn't have to be in charge of personnel. If they, the day they fired Tom Gamble was the beginning of the end. That's just my opinion. Well, I, I, I like Tom Gamble. I, I think Tom Gamble's a very, very good personnel man, and maybe that will work in San Francisco. But I, I thought that the, I, I agreed that the trajectory of this team was going down. And when people say, well, they won 10 games their first two seasons. But look at this team from Thanksgiving Day 2014 until the end of Chip Kelly's tenure. I mean, I knew, I, I would have bet anybody in the world that the Eagles were done with Chip Kelly on Thanksgiving Day in Detroit. I mean, that was, that was absolutely a total national embarrassment. I said to myself, there's no way that he – the what? Talk about two different Thanksgivings, right? I mean, oh my, Thanksgiving yeah, well, 2014 was one of the best games the Eagles have played in years. When they absolutely, no, no, 13. Dallas team apart. That was a good Dallas team that they put that they took apart. That that yeah, Dallas. yeah, the fourth yeah, 14 was great. 14 was terrific, and that was beyond. Team that wasn't that good. Oh, I mean, I I actually said on the air. Uh, with seven minutes to go in the game, I said the most the, the thing I'm most thankful for on this day is that there are only seven minutes left in this game. I mean that was that was a that, that was an unmitigated disaster. That was that was a disgrace. And I said I got on the bus and I said to to Mike Mayock uh, who was uh, on that bus too. He was doing the game I think for Westwood. I said Mike, I said I, it's over. It, uh, that wasn't Westwood. It was Ross Tucker. Ross Tucker was doing the game, and I, I said to Ross Tucker, I said, it, it's over. I mean, they, they're not going to continue. They, they're, there's going to be a coaching change. I, I, you could sense it right there that this team was a disaster. Hey, guys, I just got a little bit of breaking news for us. We can, we can throw this. It doesn't involve the Eagles, but in a sense it does. The, um, apparently the Rams have announced that Case Keenum will be their regular season opening day quarterback, not, not Jared Goff. So they're following the same path. Interesting. Yeah, saw following the same. And I, I will say, you know. Yes I, and no, though, Elliot. I mean, say what you want about Sam Bradford. I mean, he is a veteran. He's been around. He was a number one pick at one time himself. I, you know, for Wentz to be Bradford out is, I, I think a lot of Rams fans probably thought Goff was going to beat out Case Keenum. See, I thought that's why they took Goff. Yeah. I, I, I was worried that when the Eagles were in that second spot, I was only worried that the Rams would have a change of heart and choose Wentz because I really think that Wentz is the real thing. I'm not as impressed with Goff, but the word about Goff was that that Goff was 
really ready, much more ready to play, much more experienced than you could plug him in, and he wouldn't have as as long. He wouldn't have the upside of of Wentz, but he would have a shorter adjustment period. And they're going to a new city, and they have the California quarterback. And it all figured that he was going to be the starter. He must not be doing well out there. Obviously, that's what I'm saying. What do you and think of like uh, what do you think of Wentz so far? Because I I agree. I mean, it sounds like me and you're on the same page in terms of really liking Wentz for the future. I going into camp, I I don't want to say I don't think he's looked good, but I think he's looked much more like a rookie than I thought. Um, but I think he makes one play a day, and you're you're at practice every day. He makes one play a day where it just really opens your eyes to potentially has, but. Um, just in practice and stuff, what has been your general uh, you know, take from Wentz? I think the same as, as yours in that he has a lot to learn, but he has the physical ability and I think he has the mental capacity to fit into that role. I think he's very Roethlisberger-like in stature. I think mm-hmm. he's got the great arm. I think, he's, I think he's learning. I think he's a bright kid, but it's not going to be one, two, three. But you can see that talent every day, but then you can also see every day why they shouldn't rush him. Exactly. So you agree with I? Because I do agree with this one hundred percent. Give him time. He there's no reason mm-hmm. to get him in sooner than it. And like you said earlier, yeah, if they're if the season gets you know whatever happens, and if they're three and eight, then yeah, then by all means, let's see, let's put him in there and get him and get his feet wet because then next year he's gonna. Like kind of like what Andy did with Donovan back in 1999. I forget what the what the exact record was, but they were clearly out of the race. And Andy pulled Doug Peterson and started Donovan the last whatever many. And I, actually, Donovan didn't play the last game because he got hurt the next to last game. And I think Ty Detmer went out and played the last game. But but Donovan got his feet wet at the end of 1999. Made was not a start. Did not play great in '99. He played okay. You saw flashes of what he of what he could do but he made rookie mistakes like any quarterback rookie quarterback would but then in 2000 he was ready started from day one and took the team to the playoffs i think that absolutely i think that would be a nice scenario for carson wentz to be able to follow again if they're out of the race if they're in the race and by all means you leave bradford in in and try to win something no i would agree with that and and i think that's basically what they're doing except that Sam Bradford is a lot more uh, capable of winning games than Doug Peterson was back in 1999. Sure. And yeah, and yeah. But my only problem is with, it was Donovan, it was Doug and Donovan, and then Ty. Is Case Daniel in the way? I don't think he's in the way uh, because he's not considered to be an heir apparent. He is a, uh, you, you hate to say this, but the truth of the matter is he's kind of, a player slash coach. He's there as much for his ability to help the coaches integrate the system as he is to yeah, and plus and plus let's let's just say that the Eagles are playing in the, the second or third game of the season and Sam Bradford goes down with something minor that's gonna keep him out or, or suppose he uh, again just for argument's sake has a mild concussion that's going to keep him out for two weeks. Chase Daniel can come in and run that offense he, he's not going to be able to make the throws that Bradford or Wentz can make, but he can run that offense without uh, mixing things up and making mental mistakes. All right, Merlis, before we let you go, congratulations, 40th year. I hope the Eagles honor you somehow, do something for you. Have a, they have a Merle Reese day. I think. How about that? <laughs> you know what? 
the, the fact that the Eagles, the, the Eagles and CBS Radio allow me to go into that booth each week and leave me alone, that's all I want. That's all you need. That's, <laughs> that's, that's why nobody yells at me, and that's good. <laughs> and and, I, and I, still, I still love broadcasting to these fans because they, they love this game and they love this team. And, and, and when I exude and I'm happy, they feel it. And, and when I hurt and they hurt, we, we feel it together. So it's a, it, it's a lot of fun. So I'm not I'm not asking for any awards. I'm not asking for any honors. Uh, I, I just just keep giving me the key to the broadcast booth, and I'm real happy. <laughs> and nothing has changed for you, has it, Merle? I mean, the coaches change, players change, owners have changed, every general managers have changed. But you still keep the you you still keep your same rituals that I know that you have prior to games. And oh yeah, everything stays the same for you, right? Everything stays the same. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Oh, I got to ask you Except I have to put a little more shoe polish in my hair to keep it dark. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're the longest tenured NFL broadcaster, correct? I'm even the longest tenured human being. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, there's Vin, Vin Scully in, in all of sports. That's true. That's true. Are, are you second to Vin, as far as you know? Boy, that's that's a good question because I don't I don't know the other baseball broadcasters, but uh, I mean, don't forget he's Vince Scully is what sixty years in the booth for the Dodgers. Yeah. This is his last year. No, he's got one more year. He's coming back next year. Oh, I thought he was done. In the, I thought he was done at the end of the year. No, I thought I thought that he agreed. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But I had thought that he said next year would be his last. So and so in fifteen. But he's only he's only eighty nine. Only that's good. So he's so he's got a couple years on. <laughs> but but you know what the funny thing is? The funny thing is my son Nolan, who you know, Mark, uh, will every now and then be speaking to me, and he'll put the phone next to the television set, and Scully does the game by himself without any color analyst, and he he sounds the same, and he's still terrific, and he's still, he hasn't changed. He's wonderful. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Merle, thanks for your time. We really appreciate it, and good luck in your 40th year, and, and I'm sure you're excited for Thursday night to, to get things going. Can't wait. And you know what? You guys you guys do a great job. I, I follow you. You know your football. You come up with breaking stories. Uh, love love reading you. And, thanks, Merle. And now, you know I, and now you know I tweet. <laughs> yes, we do. How about that? Yeah, you've got to tweet that hot fire like I do. I know you put those takes out there. I'm looking forward to, uh, to following them. <laughs> Years ago, once once the game starts, I'll, I'll have an observation or so. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks. All again. right. See you guys. All, All right. right. Bye bye. That was Merle Reese, the voice of the Eagles for 40. That's a long time, Elliot. Yeah. And you know what's crazy? I got to say. So, you know, we always joke about how I'm younger. You know, I've, I haven't been doing this for so long, but you see so many people in the industry that are, you know, and, you know, they're 60s, 50s, and you just don't see that motivation from them, from them anymore. Like, Merrill is out there every single day of practice for all of practice, moving around with the different, you know, from field to field watching the drills. And it's just, it, it really is admirable. And like, I don't think other, I don't think other radio guys do. I'm almost sure they don't. Yeah. I, 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 I think they might come once a week, twice a week, maybe, you know, talk to the coach on during the, Merrill, you know, Merrill's there every day. That's, I don't, I'm almost sure other, other, I don't know that for a fact, and I could be wrong. Maybe there's one other guy in the league. That, that's not the norm. I'm going to say, to be 40 years into a job and still be motivated to, enough to talk about the backup offensive lineman, that's, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> especially on this team. I mean, that's, 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 that's I've, I've known him for 30, and he's no different now 
It really isn't. There's no difference between the guy I met in 1985 and the guy that I just that we just that we just talked to now in 2016. He, his enthusiasm's the same. His optimism is the same. You know, you could think some guys would be like, oh, "I've been doing this for like me. I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm not the same. I got it. Well, I was going to say, speaking of optimism, so uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and get you another optimism. They might win five games now. Yeah, yeah. He convinced you up from four to five. Go four to five now. Yeah. Yeah, so no, I've got to say it's just funny, uh, you know, every day we'll, we'll talk on the sideline with Merrill watching you two go at it because he's about as, optimis- about as optimistic as can get, and you are, in terms of people that cover the team, are probably the lowest on this team out there, so. And again, I don't mean, I know, and people say that, and I don't want to be. It's well, not no, like I come into it. I just think you're being, I don't I'm, even say realistic, it's just your opinion, yeah. whereas Merrill is optimistic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of my major reasons why I don't think this team is going to do well, there's, there's two, two majors. One is, you bring in a, new, a whole new staff, basically. I mean, or not a nice yeah. couple of guys, hold on, but the new, a, a new offense and a new defense. I think I just think it's going to take time for those systems to 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 gel to 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 start to work. So I don't I don't expect a quick start to the season. And then the schedule gets brutal. So even if it is starting to gel, you're playing Green Bay and Seattle and Cincinnati. They're they're tough games. I mean, I don't think they're ready to beat teams like like that. Yeah, I'll, they could beat the Cowboys and Redskins, maybe, but I don't think I don't think on their best day I don't think they could beat Green Bay or Minnesota or Seattle or Cincinnati. And uh, so I, I think it's a combination of of the newness of both sides of the ball, combined with what I think is a very very difficult schedule. They, I think the NFC North is a very good division, and I think the AFC North is a very good division. So they didn't. Right. It's just a per, it's a bad kind of a perfect storm, in my opinion. I, I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe they, yeah, maybe I mean, they jump out of the gate quickly and everything goes great. But I, I'm just tr- trying to be realistic. The two and the two things I'll say, it's God. People are gonna listen to this podcast and go from the highs of Merrill saying <laughs> they might make the playoffs. But the the two the two reasons I think this team could could really be bad this year is I'll take it a step further with the head coaching staff than you did. I I think Doug Peterson could be a disaster. I mean, I really think this could end up being a major problem. Like, you look at you look at what he's done so far since he's taken the job. I mean, in the owners' meetings, he said maybe you know Jason Kelsey or Jason Pierce could be his left guard, and you know everyone leaves scratching their head on that. Um, he couldn't figure out how he was going to call plays up until basically today, two days before the first game, even though he had all off season to figure it out. He didn't know the rules about how he could call plays. And then there's this whole thing with the hitting, where one day he says, "Oh, you know, you second, you can't second guess yourself with hitting. Like, you know, that's how you get beat." And now they're not hitting anymore. So it just, you know, look, he's gonna have his rookie mistakes. I just, I'm going into training camp. I was pessimistic. I was skeptical. Well, I wasn't pessimistic. I was skeptical of Doug Peterson. But after watching them for two weeks, I just, I really feel like that could be a disaster. And the other reason is, this team is thin. And that was something you'd been saying in the off season, but saying- I didn't. I didn't really notice until you watch them, but like, I mean, the offensive line is just paper thin, and I think they could spend all they could potentially spend all season shuffling around that offensive line because <laughs> Peters is going to be in and out. Where are you going to move Lane? What are you going to do? You know, well, I'm, I'm Brooks brought that up. Yeah, because what do you think? And I'm I wrote about it on a Tuesday morning on NJ.com. You can read the story. Uh, who's the Eagles' left tackle? What do you think of him saying? Matt Tobin's playing well, and I'm okay. I, I didn't want to. I don't have to move Lane from right to left because I, I got Matt Tobin to play the left. Is he trying to get Bradford hurt? Is <laughs> See, that the plan? I think that makes zero sense because first of all, 
I mean, if it's in a game, and like, I don't, maybe in a game you do that because you've had Lane playing right tackle, you know, presumably for a while, obviously in his career, but I mean into the regular season. But it's the preseason. I mean, if Lane Johnson, if you're playing during the regular season, let's say, you know, God forbid Jason Peters, you know, tears his ACL week one, and you well, know you're going to have just keeps acting up on him. He can't play. Well, well, but my point is, let's say you think Lane, I, I don't think that something people talk about enough is how hard it was last last year for Lane Johnson to bounce back and forth between left and right tackle. I mean, before that Dolphins game, he didn't even know what position he was playing until an hour before the game. So I do think there's something to be said for, at a certain point, you either just got to move Lane to left or you just got to keep him at right if it's only going to be for a game or two. Now, if Peters is gone for the rest of the regular season, then I think you just make the move because you know Peters is probably never going to play again for you, and you, you move Lane to left. But in the preseason, why not get Lane some reps at left tackle? I mean, he's your left tackle. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like that's my biggest yeah. complaint. When right. when Doug says, "Oh no, I, I want I want Lane to be comfortable on the, comfortable on the right side," he's played the right side his whole life. He's very comfortable there. He knows how to play right tackle. Right. I want him. I want him learning how to play left tackle because let's be honest. If not now, sooner than later, Jason Peters isn't going to be here anymore. How about this? More games at left tackle this year. Jason Peters or Lane Johnson? I think Matt, according to Peterson, Matt, Matt Tobin. Also, if you're Howie Roseman, can you imagine? You give Lane Johnson yeah. starting left tackle money. That was my he's like the, the fourth highest paid left tackle in the league, and he's far and away the most highest paid right tackle. And then you put Matt Tobin out there, a guy who, who we were saying didn't even think would make the team, and you're going to put him out there. So, it's another, it's just, and seriously, it's just another – questionable coaching move by Peterson. That to me, that's the biggest one. Forget the the play clock and all that. No, I mean that's just you know that to me, not knowing his personnel and thinking that you could put Matt Tobin at left tackle, like, and I he said it, and I said, and I, I followed it up with the question. Well, that's for now, but if this was a regular season and Jason couldn't go, you would move Lane, right? And he went, well, no, no, we you know Lane, I want Lane on the right. No, Matt's playing great. Like, I I, I almost like was. I, I, I held back from saying, are you kidding? Matt Tobin, are you kidding? He couldn't play guard. Here, here's another, here's another, the uh, blind side? Here, here's another question, bit, bit off topic, but kind of with it. How much do you think Kelly Roseman has to do with the decisions that are made in terms of who plays where and who plays and stuff? I mean, do you think he's involved in this? I would, I kind of think oh, so. I, oh my God. Now you're, now you're really, now you're, you're just, see, I was trying to be nice today. I'm, I'm kind of like <laughs> taking Joe's place as the whole, now you just, now you, you just want me to rip the team, right? I mean, is what do you think? Set me up for? Like, do you think do you think Howie is involved in that? I don't know the answer, so I'm just what do you? What I do you I hope not, but wouldn't surprise you, right? Well, no, Howie Howie would have Lane Johnson at left tackle because, as you said, he just paid him a billion dollars to play left. You know, I mean, yeah, that's that true. one can't be Howie. Well, I think how didn't you write the story that you think Howie's going to is picking the final fifty three? Well, Howie basically said he's picking the final fifty. Right. Yeah. Now, well, how much say do you think Howie had in the no hitting anymore? Again, I hope. <laughs> but maybe. Well, again, maybe he is a general man, whatever his title is now. Right. So maybe he says to Doug after after the injury that injury day Friday, "Hey, Doug, maybe we should back off a little bit." And I think if Peterson, I would again, I'm hoping here. I think that happens everywhere. I think Ted Thompson talks to Mike McCarthy after practice in Green Bay. I think Ozzie Newsom talks to John Harbaugh in Baltimore yeah, about yeah. different things. But I'm hoping 
Howie suggests things, but if Doug says, no, hey, Howie, listen, I know guys got hurt today. It happens. It's football. I'm not going to stop hitting. Like I, This is what I do. And I hope he doesn't just say, okay, Howie, no hitting. Howie doesn't want to hit. I hope. I'll know how that goes down, though. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, if Howie says the only way more hitting, I, I think then there's no more hitting. I don't think Doug has the pool yet to override a Howie decision. Well, I don't think Howie should be making those. I think Howie should make suggestions, not decisions when it comes to things like no, that. No, I know, but I'm saying I think at the end of the day, if let's just say, and we're kind of dealing in hypotheticals now, although in reality it's basically what happened with Chip and Howie the past three years. But let's just say Doug and Chip, I mean, not Doug and Chip, Doug and Howie don't agree on something, right? I mean, we all, I mean, Howie's winning that battle, right? I mean, like, like if, if, if Howie says, you know, man, I really don't think you should hit anymore. Right, and, oh. and, and, and then they keep hitting, and then Ertz goes down or whatever, right? And then Howie, look, man, you, you got to stop hitting. And Doug says, "No, this is what I do. This is how I run stuff." I mean, don't you think Howie goes, "That that's real cute, Doug," but you know, like, stop hitting. yeah. If Howie really believes, yeah, you're probably right. But let me ask. Well, then where's where does the line get drawn? What if after all right? What I, if, think, I think until Howie's gone, I think this. Is well, no, no. I mean, no. But I meant, where's the line drawn in like? So let's say they they play a game. They they play whoever the Bears and right. They lose whatever for whatever reason. Does and how he says to Doug, "Listen, I think we need to run the ball more. You're not running the ball enough." I mean, is it does he does how he does how he start calling the plays now too? Look, I think how he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> I mean, I, again, there's two. Look, I'm not saying I'm not saying what I think should happen. Like, I, I agree. I don't think how like, and I'm not painting how he's power hungry. I just think that yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I am to a certain degree. But like, do you disagree? I mean. Don't you think it's it's his team? I, I mean, want to disagree. I want to say no. Elliot, you're wrong. There's no way. But knowing the two guys, how you think? <laughs> might be right. I, I, and that, that, if that's the case, that's that's bad. That's and I'll say bad. one one more thing before we wrap up. Um, yes. you know, they have the, the game on Thursday to get yes. back to the offensive line. Now, how Matt Tobin plays hops right up to the front of things you're looking at. Sure. <laughs> I mean, it might be number one. Honestly, I guess you could maybe say I'll be interested in just how the team looks in general, how they. You know how sloppy they're going to be and stuff, but I think Matt Tobin, to me now, is number one in terms of what what you watch on. Uh, I mean, on Thursday because he could potentially be the Jason Peters replacement this year. And, oh God, <laughs> and God forbid! And I'm not wishing this on anyone, but what? I, and I don't even know who Tampa's right defensive end is. Who, who's their? But, but they have a pretty good front four, if I remember correctly. What if? What if the? What if Tobin blows? You know, and Bradford gets not gets hurt. Or God, well, he'll, he'll be out by Wednesday. But, you know what I'm saying? Like, first series, yeah. whoever Tampa's going to have their starters out there their first series, he blows by Tobin, like guys did all last year, and knocks knocks Bradford out. I mean, I think this is something all year we'll be talking about, about, like, you know, oh, if this guy goes down, they're, they're screwed because they're paper thin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, all year we'll be saying, oh, well, the defense has been good, but Malcolm Jenkins is out, and they have to move to uh, Chris Maragos. I mean, that's who's starting on Thursday in place of Jenkins, Chris Merrick. But that has to happen. That's that's just the way your team is. You can't – they didn't fill every hole. They, so, yes, Maragos is their third best safety, so he's going to play in place of their best safety. Right. Um, you know, Michael Kendricks is out, so Najee Good's going to start. That's, you know, Najee's – I think this I, team's thinner than other teams in the league. Oh, I agree. I'm just – but no, but the point I'm trying to make is they have no choice. Najee Good is their next best lineman. I don't think – do you think Matt Tobin is their sixth best lineman? No. No. I mean, 
I don't think anybody thinks that except I would, I would put Dennis Kelly out there before I'd put Matt Tobin. But, I mean – I, I would Whoever I put, they'd be on the right side, and Lane would be on the left side protecting my – Agreed. No, I, yeah, I agree with that 100%. You can get by with a so-so right tackle. The Giants all – I mean, they had a bad year, but they had Marshall Newhouse, who's not a very good player, at right tackle all, all year. But they had their, their number one pick at left tackle. I mean, left tackle is very important. Yeah. I don't want Matt Tobin. I, and again, I, Matt Tobin's a nice kid, and I got you know, I'm, maybe he'll go out there and I play. Think play listen, his so. life. <laughs> but if he, yeah, I mean, I don't mean, I just don't want people to think I hate Matt Tobin. He's a nice kid. He's not a starting left tackle in the NFL. He's just not. No. But he's going to be Thursday night, and according to the head coach, if that, during the season Peters goes down, which I kind of think is inevitable, definitely going to happen. That's just going in. Right. Wow. Well, I think we've officially killed all optimism that Merrill brought to the show. No, I didn't want to, but you may. <laughs> all right, we're wrapping it up here. Thanks for listening to episode 42 of the No Huddle Show. I'm Mark Echo. Elliot, thanks for coming on with us. I want to thank the big thank you to Merle Reese. And I guess we'll be back next week. Joe will be back, and I can just go back to being a bad guy. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Talk to you later. All right, take care.